0: which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
1: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. We need change. We need change.
2: Um, I, I know many very capable um, black coaches. Um, some of my staff who I know... Um, if given an opportunity or when given an opportunity, they're going to go and do a great job on their interview. Um, and I would just hate for that uh, to, be a, to be a waste. Uh, I, and I think, you know, we need to change the hearts and minds of of the people making those decisions.
1: Change. That's why former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores sued the NFL for pervasive racial bias. In an interview with ESPN, Flores laid out his allegations about racist hiring practices and sham interviews under the Rooney rule, which requires teams to interview at least two minority candidates for positions like head coach.
2: I was upset that I wasn't getting a true opportunity um, to show what I can do, to show what I can bring to a team, um, which I feel is a lot.
1: Though the NFL, the Dolphins, Broncos, and Giants have denied Flores' accusations, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell admitted the league has fallen short in getting more diversity at the head coaching position.
3: And that is something that uh, is something we really have focused on to try to get the kind of results that we would expect. And we fell short of that by a long shot.
1: Joining me to discuss the challenges the lawsuit faces is sports attorney Martin Edel of Goulston and Stores. Marty, tell us a little about the complaint and whether there were any surprises in Flores' allegations.
2: So what Mr. Flores has done in his complaint is try to paint a picture of systemic racism within the NFL going back to its founding in the 1920s and then bringing it up to the present time. The most important allegations for this case are really what happens after the Rooney Rule has been adopted by the NFL, which was 2003, and more particularly, the allegations concerning the failure to hire him and what he calls sham interviews, which took place surrounding his hiring. He doesn't seem to allege anything that isn't out in the public field at this point, it always comes as a shock to a defendant to be accused of being a racist. So, in that sense, probably it is somewhat shocking to the defendants in this case. But there's nothing particularly new here. It just is a reasonable way of pulling together what has happened over the last couple of years particularly, but as Mr. Flores alleges, going back now almost 100 years.
1: And he brought this as a class action. So far, he's the only plaintiff. Class action means he has to clear some high legal hurdles. Why do you think he brought it as a class action instead of individually?
2: I think what he has done here is he has tried to vindicate every African-American person in his class, which he has named to be head coaches, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, quarterback coordinators, and general managers. Procedurally, that will, as you suggested, create a nightmare scenario for him in his lawsuit for, among other reasons, because now he has this whole class. There's going to be special discovery on the class before you even get to what we call discovery on the merits or what his actual allegations are and whether he can prove them. Those class allegations will likely take some period of time, be it six months, a year, a year and a half, to take discovery and then adjudicate before we even get to the next procedural hurdle he'll face, which is a motion to dismiss by one or more of the defendants. So we're talking about a period of upwards of a year, maybe upwards of two years, assuming he survives those procedural hurdles before Mr. Flores will be able to take any type of discovery on the merits.
1: We heard from the NFL commissioner Roger Goodell, and he admitted that the league fell short by a lot in increasing the number of black and minority coaches. Is that an admission that can help Flores in his lawsuit? So
2: I think the answer is a qualified yes. It certainly is a statement by someone in power that the league should be able to achieve greater hiring of African Americans in the different positions. That said, The league cannot mandate the hiring of a head coach by a particular team. It could provide the guardrails, and in this case, that's the Rooney rule. It can lean on teams or leverage the league's position to make sure that the teams are not just engaging in, I guess what Mr. Flores called sham interviews, that these are meaningful interviews. But I'm not sure what else the NFL should be doing in this sense to assist. African-American candidates for these positions, which are unique to each team.
1: Explain how his allegations of sham interviews fit into his complaint.
2: The Rooney rule requires right now teams to interview at least two minority candidates for any head coaching position. If all a team does is say, OK, I've already picked my candidate, but because of the Rooney rule, I have to interview two minority candidates and then proceeds to interview them with having no intent or interest in hiring them. That is what Mr. Flores alleges happened to him and is a sham interview. That would tend to show more of a discriminatory animus in the sense that they didn't have any interest in hiring someone of color for the
1: position. He also alleges that the Dolphins owner tried to get him to tank the 2019 season to get a high draft pick. I'm wondering if that actually cuts against him because might that be a reason that he was fired because he didn't do that? So yes,
2: it could cut against him. But more importantly, what I'm scratching my head about is why that's even in the lawsuit. It doesn't show racial animus or race as a criterion of hiring, or in this case, firing. And it seems to be thrown out there just to create a bad public relations situation for the NFL. Why? Because tanking is illegal. It's a form of gambling. It's outlawed in many states. If true, it would create a situation for the Dolphins and for the NFL that could result in a criminal investigation. But that's not a racial investigation.
1: What I'd like you to explain is what you have to prove to prove racial animus, the but for.
2: Okay. So first, the plaintiff, in this case, Mr. Flores, has to allege and prove that a negative or adverse employment action was taken against him because of his race and that he suffered damages as a result of that. Once he can show that, and that's not a terribly high burden, to prove. The burden then shifts to the defendants to show that there was a reason for their actions, a non discriminatory reason for their actions. If they can meet that burden, again, not a terribly difficult or high burden, the burden shifts back to Mr. Flores to show that the reason given by the defendant or defendants was pretextual. That is, it just simply wasn't the case, and race was the case. But he can't go back simply to saying, I was fired. It was because of my race. He has to show why the reasons offered by the defendants were pretextual.
1: In your opinion, how much does this suit jeopardize the NFL and its legacy? And how much is it, you know, headlines today and forgotten tomorrow?
2: (laughs) Great question. It certainly is headlines today. Will it be forgotten in six months depends how a lawsuit drags along and is likely to be forgotten until there's the next big decision in the lawsuit itself, unless Mr. Flores can keep a constant media pressure on the NFL. What it ought to have is it ought to create just the type of introspection which Commissioner Goodell opined about, saying, you know, we haven't done our job as well as we can and lead to the formation of at least some committees to investigate how the NFL could do better. You have a league with, I think it's 57.5% of its players are African American, and right now it has two head coaches who are African American. That's not a good percentage, especially because, as I think is pretty clear by this point, there are many qualified candidates who are African-American and are not getting jobs.
1: With the last of the available NFL head coaching positions now filled, Flores will not be coaching next season. And some are saying that he'll never coach again in the NFL because he filed this lawsuit.
2: My view is at some point somebody will realize that Mr. Flores is a very good coach. He's had a good record as a coach and they may want to hire him in the future. That may be more idealistic than accurate. And cutting against that is people often don't like to hire somebody who's suing them because you don't know if that person has a greater proclivity to suing them again if they don't like what happens. Head coaches, as we know, are basically hired to be fired. They'll survive as long as they have a winning record or they make the playoffs, but once that changes, the ownership will probably look elsewhere. So I think idealistically, I'd like to believe he could be hired, but you know, the situation, if you want to take an example with Colin Kaepernick, here was a good quarterback. He decided to take the knee as a protest. He was thrown out as a quarterback. And the result was he has not been able to be hired again in the NFL. And it's not because of his skill level, because he couldn't even get a skill interview.
1: Thanks for being on the show, Marty. That's Martin E. of Goulston & Stores.
0: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder.
2: Dot com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Mr. McMichael, the court sentences you as follows. That is life plus 20.
1: Travis McMichael, his father Gregory, and their neighbor William Roddy Bryan were all sentenced to life in prison after being convicted in a Georgia state court of chasing down and murdering Ahmad Arbery, a black man who was jogging in their neighborhood. Here's Judge Timothy Walmsley.
2: As we all now know, based upon the verdict that was rendered in this court in November, Ahmad Arbery was murdered. It's a tragedy.
1: But it's not the final verdict for the three men. They're now being tried a second time in federal court for hate crimes, where prosecutors will try to prove that the white men targeted Arbery because he was black. My guest is Janine Bell, a professor of law at Indiana University. Let's start with the big question. What is the point of a hate crimes trial when these men are going to spend the rest of their lives in prison?
4: The point of a hate crime trial in such circumstances is to show anyone else who might commit such acts of violence or similar acts of violence in the future that the United States government is going to punish you. It's a deterrence effect. And given the number of hate crimes last year and the significant increase in the number of hate crimes reported to the FBI by police departments across the country, there's a real need for deterrence in this area. So largely a deterrence factor. There's also, and this is a secondary factor, an acknowledgement to the family that this behavior was race-based. And you didn't have that with the ordinary criminal
1: charges. There was a deal in place, and it would have avoided the trial, of course, required the McMichaels to admit to racist motives and forfeit their right to appeal their federal sentence. It seemed like a good deal for the system. Why did the judge reject their plea agreement with the prosecutors?
4: News reports suggest that the judge rejected the plea deal because the family had a problem with these perpetrators going to federal prison as opposed to state prison. And that recognizes the pain of the family and the fact that this was a racially violent crime and that the perpetrator should do hard time in state prison.
1: That's an awful comment on the system if it makes that much of a difference whether you're in state prison or federal prison. It is. It absolutely is. In the state's case against the men, the key piece of evidence was a video showing them chasing Arbery through their neighborhood. Will that be a key piece of evidence, do you think, in the federal trial as well, in the hate crimes trial? It will if the government's theory is predicated
4: on the ways in which this sort of violence has worked in the past. In the past, racist crimes have occurred in white neighborhoods because individuals who lived in those neighborhoods rejected the idea that African Americans should purchase houses or spend any time in the neighborhoods. So if that's part of the government theory of the case, that this is a time-worn reaction to African-Americans in white neighborhoods, then the video will be quite important to that.
1: The jury's being selected for the trial, and several potential jurors have said they believe problems with racism in America are exaggerated, and they've questioned whether there should be special charges or punishments for crimes motivated by race. Does that surprise you?
4: It doesn't surprise me. I wonder about the jury pool. I wonder about whether there has been a change in support for hate crime legislation, because surveys dating back to the 1980s on hate crime legislation suggest that Americans are in favor of hate crime legislation. Americans believe that racially motivated crimes are against American ideals contrary to what this country stands for. So individual jurors who say, you know, we shouldn't have these sorts of trials makes me really wonder about the jury pool. It makes me wonder about how the jurors are being questioned on this, whether appropriate education is given to them with respect to the fact that hate crimes are race-neutral, meaning anyone can be a victim of a hate crime and lots of people of different backgrounds are victimized by hate crimes and law enforcement knows this and recognizes this. And if we really want to stop this sort of violence from happening, We need to go after the perpetrators that we found, because in the vast majority of hate crime cases, we don't ever find the perpetrators. Even serious cases, they're very hard to investigate. So we need to broadcast that this sort of violence is un-American, and we won't tolerate it, and we'll go after perpetrators.
1: Thanks, Janine. That's Janine Bell of Indiana University. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You'll find them wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and please tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha.